Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums... Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hi, hello, how are you? Welcome to a very special episode of Rossafari Zoo News. Now, you may be wondering what makes this a very special episode. Nothing in particular. I think they're all special. That's why I make them for you and why I hope you enjoy them as much as I enjoy making them for you. So really, they're all special episodes and I'm just being a huge dork right now. But seriously, welcome to the episode. Uh, this is Rasafari Zoo News, where you will hear what is going on in the world of zoos, conservation, and other animal news. These efforts are partially researched by me and partially crowdsourced, so if you see any articles that you think may be worthy of being included in this podcast, please send them to me. You can email me, rossafaripod at gmail.com. You can also tag me in them on social media. If you are on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, you can tag me at rossafari. And if you're on TikTok, you can tag me at Pod. although I may or may not see it because I still suck at using TikTok. Also, make sure you're following along on all of those social media platforms, as well as make sure you hit subscribe or follow or whatever your podcast app calls the thing, where it automatically downloads every episode coming up for you. It helps. And speaking of ways to help this podcast, uh, if you would like to financially back the show, you can go to patreon.com slash rossafari. You'll get cool bonus audio and photos and all kinds of neat stuff, really, and uh, can also help keep this pod going. So uh, if you're willing to consider doing that, hey, thanks. And if you can't help financially, uh, sharing on social media and all that stuff makes a huge impact for me. So uh, appreciate all of you being a part of the Rossafarian community. And as for news from the world of John, there's not a ton to announce right now. This is the last week of shows that I will be doing at Northern Stage. So uh, when this episode drops, it'll be Friday and my last show will be that Sunday. I am then going on a bit of an adventure, a little bit of a vacation, a little bit of some hangs, having having some good times. You may hear a thing or two about that on upcoming episodes or on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and then I've got a tour coming up. I've got another sit down. But until contracts get signed and everything, I'm, I'm not announcing those. However, it looks like I will be drumming in a variety of places until the end of the year and then have a small break before heading to some other really cool places. But again, I can't announce what they are until uh, I sign a contract. Suffice to say, the next couple months should be pretty good for me as long as the Delta variant doesn't ruin everything or any other variants. Just all the things. To those of you with normal jobs, be they zookeepery or even a more standard nine to five, that might sound a little crazy, but um, that's just kind of how my life works. I, I get a bunch of potential things that I get excited about. Sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't, but uh, I've been fortunate enough in my career that they usually do and, and things go well. Uh, so I really can't wait to tell you everything that's going to be going on in the next couple months. I just need to put a pen on paper first and, and then I will do so. 
But until then, I will let you listen to an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. And now I'll let you listen to a song and then some zoo news. Let's get to it, y'all. Zoo news, zoo news. It's the news that's about zoo, zoo news. Whoa, 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 whoa. Zoo news. All right. So we are going to start off with some news from the Cincinnati Zoo and from their popular Hippo Cove area. Although this time, we're not going to be talking too much about the queen of the city, Fiona. Nope. Instead, it's her mama, Bibi, who is making news this week because she got a new boyfriend. Okay, that's totally anthropomorphism at its worst, but also I wanted to sing that, so... There you go. Uh, There is a new hippo at the Cincinnati Zoo. His name is Tucker, kind of. We'll get to that in a moment. And Tucker came from the San Francisco Zoo as a mating recommendation for Bibi. So this is going to be interesting to see how all of this goes. Tucker has been introduced to the girls um, through a gate, which means that they can't actually physically interact with each other in case there were any issues because hippos are big, y'all, and can do a lot of damage and keepers can't go in and break it up. But uh, so far, the girls seem very interested. Both Bibi and Fiona have been laying as close to him as possible, sitting at the gate near him, bellowing, but not in an aggressive way and showing no signs of stress at all. So far, the introduction is going amazingly well. Along with this being exciting news for hippos in general, and Cincinnati in particular, and especially because Fiona's there and everybody is interested in what's going on with Fiona, this is also an interesting story because it brings to light something that's really interesting about zoos and zoo animals that maybe doesn't get talked about a lot. That is the fact that sometimes animals have multiple names. This happens for a variety of reasons. Oftentimes, when an animal arrives from a different facility, a zoo wants to have a naming contest, which is a great way to raise both awareness and money. Uh, But the animal's already coming with a name that it's used to from its former keepers and trainers. Other times, zoos have naming contests and they are authentic, but they take weeks and the keepers and trainers at that facility already come up with a name that they like, and then the public votes for a different name, and so the keepers have already been using one name, and it becomes a whole thing. I actually can't tell you how many times I have been hanging out 
with a keeper and being introduced to an animal and they're like, and I'm going to make up names here just because I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but they're like, oh, this is Bob, but Bob's actually Joe, but all of the keepers also call him Sparky. And you're like, what the, what is happening right now? And I've had many keepers tell me that they'll be doing keeper chats and accidentally say a wrong name and then laugh and be like, ha no, I meant Bob or Joe or Sparky. Kind of want to name a red panda Sparky. But that's a different story. (laughs) So Tucker was one of those animals. When he was at the San Francisco Zoo, all of the keepers knew him as Tucker, and that was the name that he was taught to respond to and everything. But the public knew him as Bruce. As such, Bruce is now being known as Tucker at the zoo. And rather than keep up the two-name thing, Cincinnati has just announced that they're going to be sticking with Tucker. Which is a bit of a bummer since I like saying Bruce, but, um, you know, I guess it's fine. Anyway, while longtime Cincinnati Zoo fans know that no one will ever truly replace Henry, Fiona's dad, this is an awesome opportunity to keep mixing up the genetics of the species and give Bibi a new companion other than her daughter who likes to mess with her a lot. I am really excited to see what comes from this new pairing. And speaking of things that I'm excited about, we have another one of those birth announcements that isn't super newsworthy, it's just an animal being born, but it makes me happy and excited, so I'm going to share with y'all, because it's my podcast. The Kansas City Zoo, a zoo I have not been to yet, but now have even more reason to go to, has recently announced the birth of a matchiest tree kangaroo named Papandetta which is also the name of a city in Papua New Guinea where this amazing species can be found. Papandetta, or Poppy for short, is now starting to show its head out of the pouch. If you go to the Kansas City Zoo Facebook page, you can see a video of Poppy poking its little head out of the pouch and yawning. It may kill you with cuteness. I highly recommend you do that right now. And then keep your eyes on the Kansas City Zoo social media page because right now they don't really know much about Poppy. They know it's a tree kangaroo, they know its name, but they don't even know its sex because it hasn't been out of the pouch yet to discover these things. So uh, there will be lots of awesome photos, videos, and information about this brand new baby tree kangaroo coming at you soon. Also, on a personal side note, uh, I call my grandfather Poppy, and he is one of the most important people in my entire life. So, um, this just makes me really happy on multiple levels. And if that ain't zoo news worthy, I don't know what is. The Toronto Zoo, a facility I absolutely adore and miss and can't wait to get back to, is doing something new with their signage that is pretty darn cool. Now... When you go to an animal enclosure where you can do a symbolic animal adoption, there will be a sign saying, Adopt Me, with a QR code right there. You open your camera app or QR code reader on your phone, and you tap the notification, and it'll take you right to the link on the website where you can adopt the animal. From a pure marketing standpoint, this is brilliant. The moment that you're going to get someone to adopt an animal is when they first see it and fall in love with it. If they're standing right there, they can make that decision immediately, which is awesome from that perspective. But I also think that this is really important for the future of signage at zoos and aquariums because there have been a lot of studies done that show that a lot of people don't 
actually read the signs. A lot of people seem to think this is because people just want to be entertained and see cute animals doing cute things and wander around the zoo. And that's probably true for some of those people. But I can also tell you that when I'm at a zoo, I often don't take the time to read all the signage, but will quickly snap a photo of a sign if something looks interesting or, you know, just quickly put the name in a text message to myself of the animal and then Google it later. So I think that QR codes are an awesome way to meet people's needs where they're at at the zoo. You can still have all of the important words and explanations of things there, but if you just have a QR code that says to learn more, you know, scan here, and then you hit that button, it opens up the, the information in your web browser, and then you can just leave it there and watch the animal being adorable and wander along and talk to your friends and not be there for a science lesson. But then when you get home that night, actually read the information that is presented to you. Hey, that's pretty cool. One thing that I have seen a lot in my own experiences, I don't have studies backing this yet, but is that the places like the Georgia Aquarium that are doing more interactive signage are getting a lot more attention paid to their signs. I think I've mentioned it on here before, but I've actually seen people lining up to use the interactive signage at the Georgia Aquarium, even though some of it is actually in an area where there aren't animals you can see. Embracing new technologies like interactive signage and QR codes is definitely the wave of the future for signage at zoos and making an impact. And I just think it's cool to see that the Toronto Zoo is doing that for their animal adoptions. For those of you that watched The Tiger King, zookeeper Eric Cowie, which was featured on the series and worked at the Greater Wynwood Exotic Animal Park, as well as previously working at Tiger King Park, has passed away. He was 53 years old. Greater Wynwood Exotic Animal Park, where Eric was employed at the time of his passing, wrote the following. It comes with great sadness to say that a dear friend and hardworking employee has passed away. Eric Cowie dedicated every waking moment caring for the animals at GWEAP and Tiger King Park. He absolutely loved all the animals and would show up early to check on each and every one. He had his demons, but the animals helped bring joy and happiness in his life. At the time of this recording, the cause of death was unknown. Y'all know that I haven't seen Tiger King and that I have lots of thoughts about its existence and the um, hype around it and the bad things it has done for good zoos. So I don't really have any opinions to add to this, but uh, it seemed newsworthy and is about zoos. So there it is. Oh, and now for some late breaking news that literally just broke as I was recording this episode. A South Carolina woman carrying a loaded gun attacked a police detective after refusing to wear a mask at the South Carolina Aquarium. This stuff is getting ridiculous, y'all. The woman refused to wear the mask and when told by staff that she needed to said, quote, F you. Only she did the other letters, too. When she kept putting up a fight and refusing to put on her mask properly, a detective tried to escort her out of the building, and at that point, she physically assaulted the detective. The woman was removed from the aquarium by the detective and has been charged with simple assault and also for unlawfully carrying a loaded weapon because she had a loaded gun that she was not licensed to have on her. Walking around with a mask around your neck and a gun in your purse is just not cool. 
I can't believe this is the world that we live in right now. I'm, I want to make a joke about it, but I, I can't. Don't worry. There are jokes in the next section, though. I promise. So with that said, let's get to Stereotypical Animal Podcast theme song. Here to bring you to Conservation News. All right, so we are going to start with the story out of Australia today. And you know what that means. It's time for the world-famous John Rossi Australian accent attempt. Here we go. No, no. Okay, John, I'm doing everyone a favor here. No more of those terrible Aussie accents from you. This is Renee Howe from Wildlife Sydney Zoo, and I'm officially taking over your Australian stories. After an absence of more than half a century, the iconic platypus is set to make its return to the Royal National Park just south of Sydney. A collaboration between the University of New South Wales, WWF Australia, Taronga Conservation Society and the New South Wales National Parks and Wildlife Service will see the placement of 10 platypus at their location in 2022. There have been no recorded sightings of the once thriving platypus population in the Royal National Park since the 1970s. With their decline caused by river mismanagement, habitat destruction, predators, and climate change. The individuals will all be fitted with tags so that researchers can track their progress and any breeding activity for up to two years. The area in which they are released will be monitored for risks like feral predators, fire hazards, and of course, human activity. The National Parks and Wildlife Service also plan to invest in a public viewing area once the initial population is established. So with that being said, it's back to you, John. Um, okay. Well, uh, first of all, I guess thank you for that, Ren. Um, I don't recall authorizing this or saying that I have a new senior Australian correspondent. And in fact, I think that my Aussie accent is absolutely brilliant. I mean, you didn't even say mate or mention fosters in that entire story. But um, I guess I'll let it slide this time. All right, but I'm going to do the accent really quick just in case anyone is missing it. No. Okay, okay, geez, I'll move on to the next story. Man, you give a girl a theme song and call her the zoo copper and all of a sudden she thinks she's the boss of you. Anyway... An elephant has given birth to twins for the first time in 80 years in Sri Lanka. The male calves are currently doing very well, although I have heard from multiple sources that oftentimes twins struggle when they are a species that doesn't often give birth to twins. However, both are currently doing very well and seem to be eating and nursing effectively. It's really, really exciting news, but also, like, Baby elephants are big, y'all. Mad, mad props to the mama that managed to carry two twins. The mom, named Sarangi, is said to be doing well, which is a testament to her own strength and the amazing care provided by her keepers. Yay, twin baby elephants. And speaking of elephants, it is time to discuss some controversial conservation. An entire herd of elephants at a British zoo are going to be moved to the wilds of Kenya and released. There are 13 total elephants, 12 of which were born and raised in Kent, England, and one of which was born in Israel. 
none of the elephants have ever lived in the wild before. The move is being run by the Aspinall Foundation, which is a group dedicated to returning captive-born animals to the wild, although I don't think that the word returning there is correct, but that's what they call it. There has been a lot of controversy about this move in the conservation community, as you might imagine. Uh, The standard understanding is that, you know, animals are not releasable into the wild if they haven't learned the skills to function in said wild. I suppose an argument could be made that elephants, being apex animals and huge and wildly intelligent, might be more suited to it than other species, but, um... I don't really know. I find this whole thing a whole lot of scary and a little bit fascinating at the same time. I mean, if these elephants are successful, what would that mean for other captive-bred animals being introduced to the wild? Now, I'm not an idiot. We all know that we can't just take a bunch of gorillas from a zoo and stick them in the wild because, A, Where the heck would they go? The protected forests are already too small for the wild populations that are out there, and humans are still destroying the rest of the forests that they live in. But also, I don't know, it's it's conventional wisdom that animals wouldn't do well when released in the wild, and there are certainly examples of that, um, although it hasn't happened that often. So I guess my own personal take on this is that I'm opposed to it from what I have read, and I've done a lot of reading about this, y'all. But the Aspinall Foundation has done good things and has done things that I agree with. And um, I think the bigger thing here is that this is going to happen. And uh, the best thing that we can do then, I guess, is learn from it and see what happens with these animals and and see how it goes. Uh, I, I hate to think of 13 elephants as being bait for an experiment. But um, if it's going to happen anyway, at least I'm glad that we can learn from it. All right, let me check. Do we have any more conservation news stories? No. All right, then let's get on to... In other news. Okay, so we all know that I love corvids, especially crows, and especially Russell Crow, the crow at Southwick's Zoo that you've heard about on the episodes featuring Danny Poirier Larson and Emily Begay. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you should probably go back and listen to the episodes featuring Danny Poirier Larson and Emily Begay. But anyway... Scientists have recently discovered that crows seem to understand the concept of zero. While that may sound ridiculous to some, uh, zero doesn't mean nothing. It's actually one of the most complex mathematical concepts devised. That something can and should represent nothing, not only as a base value, but also as a placeholder. The testing that was done to reach this conclusion is well beyond my understanding, but the basic idea was that crows were shown two sets of dots on a screen and were taught to indicate if the two screens had the same values. There could be between zero and four dots. Exactly as with one, two, three, and four, when the screens showed no dots, neurons in the crow's brain demonstrated it was understanding this was a numeric value, but that it was a numeric value that contained nothing. 
The fact that crows are able to understand this concept is really astonishing and shows exactly how smart Russell Crowe, the, the bird, not the actor, and uh, his peers are. It's really astonishing. And also makes me want to sing you a song by the Counting Crows. No! Man, I didn't know the zoo copper was going to be the fun police. All right, all right. I probably couldn't afford the rights anyway. But uh, Mr. Jones and me... We have another story for you. Researchers in Brazil have found that a molecule in the venom of a Brazilian viper can actually inhibit coronavirus reproduction in monkey cells, a possible first step toward a drug to combat the virus causing COVID-19. The initial study, which has not been replicated yet, found that the molecule in question inhibited the virus's ability to multiply in monkey cells by 75%. The best part is that the molecule in question can be synthesized in the laboratory and is already known for having antibacterial qualities, so if this works, we won't have to keep trying it with actual snakes and raising and capturing all kinds of snakes and everything to make this happen. The hope is to test this on human cells soon. Fingers crossed, y'all. And last but not least in other news this week, well, it's not really a news story, but when a friend sends you something interesting, uh, you share it with the world sometimes. Male giraffes will headbutt females in the bladder until they pee, then they drink the urine, tasting it to determine whether or not the female is ovulating. So that's how that works, and now you know that fact. You're welcome. And that brings us to your animal holidays for the week. Quick reminder that September is Save the Koala Month, and I am too afraid to even mess with the accent at this point. So, uh, Ren, I guess you won, at least for now. Um, and then moving on to our weekly holidays. Uh, let's see here. Saturday, September 11th is Iguana Awareness Day. Sunday the 12th is National Bilby Day. Monday, the 13th, is National Mountain Chicken Frog Day. Know that we all need to celebrate those chicken frogs. And then finally, Thursday, the 16th, is Plover Appreciation Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. And there you have it, folks. Another week of Rossafari Zoo News. And uh, I think it was a fun one. I had fun with it anyway. Um, so I want to thank everyone who contributed this week. Obviously, Renee Howell, uh, Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross, Kim Cooley, Danny Poirier Larson, and Liz Dunlevy. Don't forget that you can tag me in stories or send them to me at rossafaripod at gmail.com. And um, just also keep in mind that of the list of names that I just said, one of them is who sent me the draft fact that we ended with. So uh, think about that for a little bit. Yeah, somebody's strange, right? <laughs> I also would love to say thank you to PJ Bevan. And to Lara Shank, my two Red Panda level sponsors on Patreon. All right, y'all. And that is all we have for this week. So please remember that the words newsy credits backwards are Steiderk Yeswen, right? No. Hey, I was actually right this time. You stop that. 
Anyway, here are the Steiderk Yiswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.